Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're hearing our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll just reiterate that Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. In fact, Ben, why don't you plug a couple of the publications that you've recently written for? You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and at Business Insider. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as driving.ca, and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, this week we've got a couple of uh, luxury cars to talk about, but I think uh, this episode's going to be charged with emotions. Lots of emotions. Is that because it's also your birthday, Sammy? Yeah, I mean, when we're recording it, it is. Are we We recording on your birthday? Everybody out there, if you're in your car, if you're at home, or if you're in a crowded place, uh, just sing happy birthday softly to Sammy. He'll hear you. I will. I appreciate it. He always hears you. It's creepy, (laughs) but it's, it's real. It's a new feature of our podcast uh, of our podcast uh, yeah, we, platform. It's, it's thank you, Amazon. <laughs> yeah, thank you, um, Ben. Why don't you start us off this week um, with the car that you're driving? So just tell me, just tell me the name of it. Is it going to be charged this week, Sammy? Because I drove the 2021 Lexus IS 300 all-wheel drive, and that's a vehicle that maybe you've also driven and had a very different opinion of. Yeah, I've driven this car, and I didn't like it. So what's the deal with what you're driving? So and if, I swear, if you tell me that this car is good after letting me go on for like 40 minutes uh, like a few months ago about how much I didn't like this car, what's the deal here? What are you, what are you doing to us? <laughs> so base IS300, 241 horsepower, 258 pound-feet of torque. If you get the all-wheel drive one, still called the IS300, it's a V6 that gives you like 20 more horsepower, but less torque. You get 236 pound-feet. Then if you get the IS350, which is available in rear-wheel drive and all-wheel drive, which is confusing, you get the same 3.5 liter V6, but it's it's been tuned to offer 311 horsepower and 280 pound-feet of torque. So bottom line, three engines, four trim levels. It's confusing. Sammy, right. you have driven all of these, have you not? Uh, yeah, I mean, I spent the most amount of time in the IS300 all-wheel drive, which is what you've dri- you're, you've driven recently. Yes. And I have to admit, like, this is, I think this is, one, it's probably the most, I would suggest it's probably the more popular trim level, I think. Um, or maybe not. I guess all-wheel drive isn't that popular all over the world. But um, it's like, the, I think it would be a volume seller, and I don't, I was not impressed with it because the 350 is so good, and the, and the 300 rear-wheel drive is quite good. And this one is is not is not as good as those two. So and I, I really don't like that. What what I find odd, I mean, if you're looking at this from a numbers perspective, it's weird that two vehicles with the same trim have such radically different horsepower. <laughs> like, especially yeah. considering that the IS three hundred all wheel drive is going to be heavier than the base model, yet has less torque, considerably less torque, like almost twenty two pound feet. That that's that's yeah. a fair a fair difference. Um, and I mean, you also have to take into, con- into consideration that a turbocharged four cylinder, like that torque, kicks in quite low in the rev range, and a and a naturally aspirated V six won't have that same like feeling off the line. And the other weird thing, Sammy, is that the base IS three hundred comes with an eight speed automatic transmission, as does every other version of the car except for the all wheel drive models. They both I come with this. a six I speed. Hate this. So, I hate everything about that. So the reason <laughs> the reason this happens, there's only one reason, and that's cost. For whatever purpose, Lexus decided they didn't want to develop their eight-speed transmission for their all-wheel drive package. The, the the surprise twist to all of this is the Lexus for 2021, Lexus is presenting the IS as a redesigned car, or sorry, a refreshed car. It's not really. Like it's had the the chassis has been tuned. It's stiffer. It has this new array of engine options, but it's still pretty much the same IS we've seen for the last little while. It, I think styling it's it's different as well, um, but it's not a new package. So we're getting kind of a, a mishmash here from Lexus in the entry level sports sedan side of things, and all of this is a recipe for disaster. Like if you're looking at this, if you were just reading an article that had everything in it that I just said, you'd be like, oof. I don't think this is a car I want to drive. And when I first, when Sammy told me all about this the first time we talked about this car, which is several, many months ago, um, I, I felt the same way. I was like, this sounds like 
something you should stay away from. There's already so many good choices in this segment. Why would you yeah. drive the IS? Sammy, I have to tell you, the reason you drive the IS is because it is surprisingly good. And it is good despite yeah. all of this weird stuff that's happening under the hood and under the chassis. And I was I was really into this car. And I think it's because... I like the idea of being able to get a naturally aspirated V6 in an entry-level luxury car. I mean, what other vehicle okay. gives me that option? Um, I think in this class, uh, very very few. I, I can't think of suggest, any. Yeah. I don't even think the Cadillacs offer that. They're, they're now turbocharged motors all, all around, too. So I agree with you. If, if you are in the market and you specifically want a naturally aspirated V6, this is the product to go for. But my criticism with it was that it did not feel like a like a like a it didn't feel like a competitive product all around the the styling looked like similar to the old model the the technology is not a step up in any way over the uh, over the competition um, the performance is definitely not a step up over the competition with the exception of the responsiveness of a, of a naturally aspirated V6 which I think is starting to feel a little dated in comparison to just how good some of these turbocharged engines especially those turbo six cylinders that are so readily available throughout the segment. But I think that Lexus, in choosing to stay away from a turbocharged V6 um, and also a turbo four in this model, but all, all, there's only one turbo motor with the IS, and that's the very base model, right? I, it's yeah. confusing even for me to... I keep rehashing like all the stuff I just said about the engines in yeah. my mind. And you it, want- it, it's like a labyrinth. It's like I don't... <laughs> I get trapped in it, and I'm like, which car did I drive, and how many gears did it have? But um, I didn't find that this car was lacking power. I thought the car was not just responsive, but I thought it had good power, accelerated well. It sounded nice, but more to the point, it was a good drive. Like the car felt very solid. I was shocked by how, um, just how well the car responded to steering inputs by how well it kept out road noise by the way I felt connected to the road underneath, especially with an all wheel drive car on an older platform. I was ready to just be underwhelmed, but with the IS 300 all wheel drive, I feel like it's a package that shouldn't be competitive and yet somehow is. And then you look at the price and it starts to look even better. Like the base IS is under 40,000. When you get to the all-wheel drive, it's 42,450, which is pretty decent. I mean, um I I think the best comparator for this car probably the Genesis G70. And that right. the, the Turbo 4 model is 38 grand, so it's undercutting it, right? But if you want right. a V6, you have if you want to step up to to a six cylinder car, it's another ten thousand um, dollars. But the and, Genesis G70's Turbo Four is as competitive as the three the IS three hundred models. Sure, yeah, like yeah. performance wise, exactly. And you can also and it has more gears. If you buy one this year, you can still get a six speed manual with that four cylinder. And there's not many cars <laughs> on the market in this segment that will allow you to do that. But that's the numbers I quoted are with all wheel drive. So a two point T all wheel drive is thirty eight grand. It's within three or four grand of the Lex of the Lexus. Um, the G70 is much sportier, but the Lexus is a pretty nice car regardless. Uh, and uh, I don't know, Sammy. No, no, I, you're I, nuts. You're you out have... of it. I don't know. You, you need to get back in this segment. I need to get you. We need to get you in three series and C classes and, and if, G70s and 250s because I don't think that this is competitive. If I just you had don't. told me two months ago that I would be, um, I guess supporting the IS and the RX from the Lexus lineup as like vehicles that are worth a test drive, I would have told you you were crazy. But both of these vehicles really made an impression on me. And when I say that about the IS, I don't mean impression like, oh, you should definitely go out and buy this. I mean impression as in it wiped away a lot of negative stereotypes I had about Lexus as a brand, uh, having driven past versions of the IS that I didn't think were as focused or as effective. I think this okay. is this is like a good choice if you're not interested in a sporty car. Like you don't – sporty driving is not your main focus. But you do want something fairly responsive and comfortable and solid. I think that this is a really good option. And it doesn't get super expensive when you pile on options either, uh, which is wow. – Well, I mean you can add – there's a Mark Levinson stereo, which is like 2700 bucks. That's the <laughs> most expensive of the individual options. And that's if you get navigation. If you just want surround sound from the Mark Levinson package, which I mean someone wants it, right? It's it's only 1000 bucks. So mm-hmm. you could add – I guess five, six thousand in options if you wanted to. I don't think you have to. I think if you 
wanted extra gear, you, st- you take like the $2,000 comfort package, you get a moonroof, heated and ventilated seats, heated steering wheel, and you're, you're good. Um, I don't really see the need to really go beyond that. And if you look at like Mercedes, Audi, or BMW, it's going to be much harder to restrain yourself and still have the car that you want at the price that you want. I don't know, Ben. I'm I'm really not about this. Uh, usually, I'll, I'll let you say your piece and, and and move on to the next subject. But I don't know. The, at least with the RX, that has a that has a customer that can that that is totally on board with. Be, like as long as the car delivers the comfort, delivers that really careful or, or like sedate driving feel, which you said it does, and I agree with you. It's an easy car to recommend or at least tell somebody to to check out because it, it does everything it's supposed to. In this class of sports sedan, the car should be um, I- interesting, exciting to drive, but also a representative of, of, I think, the sporting aspect of the brand. And you and I have both raved about the, the Lexus LC, the, that beautiful coupe with one of the coolest engines uh, or best sounding engines uh, available in the market. And the, it also has a wonderful interior. And you don't get any taste of the real Lex. Uh, to me, that's the real Lex, and you don't get any taste of that real Lexus with this IS three hundred. Maybe you're comparing a hundred thousand dollar car to a forty thousand dollar car. I I understand that, and I, I'm just saying that if you're saying that, you know, at least when when we drive some of these cars, there's like you can get the 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 budget version looking a, a version of that trim, right? Of the interior, of the of the switch gear, something, uh, the 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 design. And you just don't get anything with this IS. And I just feel like it's a, I, I it's disagree. a weird I, effort. I, I just don't like it. I think what you get with this car is very solid build quality and okay. not having to worry about reliability for the next you know 100,000 miles. I think you're pretty much set. Like this, To me, the IS has never really been a competitor to the Germans. It's been an alternative. And I think as an alternative, it works. Um, if, if you – but as I mentioned earlier, this is a car for a very specific person. It's, it's someone – who doesn't really care about sporty driving. If, if you want a fun driving experience, I'm going to send you to Genesis every time. But I think the Lexus splits the difference between fun and comfortable. Um, and it does it at a price point that I think is pretty flattering. There is some weird stuff about the car, though, uh, that, that I have to mention. Uh, it has the worst infotainment system in the industry. Uh, we say this every time. We, we yeah, but Lexus, I, we're contractually right? yeah. obligated to talk about how terrible the Lexus touchpad is. It is terrible. There's no redeeming mm-hmm. features. It's difficult to use. It, you should never use a touchpad when you are driving point blank. Like there's no there's no mitigating factors that make this technology acceptable. So that for a lot of people is going to eliminate it from the conversation uh fuel mileage is also it's just okay it's not great the other weird thing though is there's no my vehicle didn't have a head-up display i'm not sure if you can get it i don't see it in individual options when i'm ordering the car for this trim and uh i didn't see it in the comfort package when i was looking at that it's weird to get a luxury car that doesn't offer that these days even if this is like second step up from the bottom I mean, I drove a mainstream product. I mean, I think the the like uh, Mazda or or Nissans are offering head up displays pretty in some of its products. Now yeah, too, they're so. everywhere. So the fact that it's not in the Lexus, I think that kind of speaks to the fact that this isn't a real redesign. It's it's just a refresh. So um, a lot of the technologies that you're seeing everywhere else haven't really made it here yet. It does does the fact that they haven't done a lot with this car reflect how unimportant it is at Lexus? Do you think? I'm not sure. I need to talk about this because when I picked it up, when I drove it, when I had like their, you know, the PR person does their spiel to us, they told us it's a new generation product. And I couldn't see it because I think the wheelbase is the same. There's like the platform is the same. Yeah. The, and the powertrain is the same as the last model, too. Yeah. It wasn't until this new Lexus uh, identified that they're going to offer a V8 version of the IS um, called the IS 500, I believe, or IS 500F, I think. Um, when it kind of clicked in that maybe they did something underneath the behind the scenes that suggests that the car will now be able to to accommodate that kind of powertrain, uh, something that they could have done before because I think we were all fans of the ISF, the uh, the V8 version of the old IS, and we were curious how long, why it's taken so long to get that back in the 
in the stable, right? So you're saying that if this car had a... You're saying this is a good car if it had a better engine. So you don't really... All these things you were complaining about, oh, it doesn't no, 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 no. like Alexis and the interior wait, isn't great. Wait, wait a minute, Ben. You're getting, you're getting ahead of yourself here. I was saying there isn't anything competitive about this product. When you add that V8, you're adding something. You're adding a personality. You're adding something that makes it stand out differently from some of its comp- competition. Again, I think it naturally aspirated V8 in this segment is kind of rare, isn't it? Yeah, it's totally rare. It's it's not something you're going to get anywhere, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and I find that far more interesting than a detuned version of the V6 that is in the, the top trip. The it, it's definitely trip. weird. It's, it's super weird that it's detuned, but it wasn't detuned to the point where I felt like it was a consolation prize. And maybe that's because, unlike you, I didn't drive it back-to-back with the other car. Uh, mm-hmm. So... If you're going to go and drive every Lexus IS, maybe you won't like the IS300 all-wheel drive as much as any of the others. But driven in a vacuum and compared against other cars that I've driven, this is, I think, my preferred Lexus IS that I've driven in the last five or six years. This bothers me so much. (laughs) I need to also add, you say, like, the car should appeal to somebody who's not interested in, in like, sporty sporty drive. You want all-wheel drive? for 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 but winter. why would you if you want all wheel drive you would get a you could get if you want all wheel drive you're not interested in the in the uh, sporting aspect of the vehicle why would you get a sedan to me the automakers are sticking to the sedan especially the rear wheel based like sedan like the IS for for drivers who are enthusiastic who are interested in driving a little bit more um, enthusiastically and this car just doesn't reward that all, yeah but altogether. I don't. Does the IS350 F-Sport actually reward you either, or is it just bumpier and stiffer and uses more gas? I can't recall. I would imagine it's just a stiffer IS. You know, because so. the, the, the other weird thing about all of this is, like, the price the price spectrum for the IS, it starts at 39 and it tops out at 44 So that's if you want to buy, like, the base rear-wheel drive Turbo 4 is thirty nine grand. That's nice. You're, you're right. So you're saying the fi- there's a $5,000 difference between... Between the least IS and the highest IS. The one that you like. Well, e- yeah. e- if you want the, the rear-wheel drive with the 8-speed, it's only forty two nine. Like, it's weird. That's good. So That's a, that's a decent v- value. And again, it is a bit of an old-school-feeling car. Like, I think that's what really may be the appealing factor here. That it's not overly complicated. That it's got um, no none of this turbo leg or, or stuff like that. And... You just need to deal with that infotainment system, and I think limited features or or technology in comparison to some of the other vehicles. It doesn't have a gorgeous digital dash, for example. You mentioned the lacking HUD. It's got a. I think the the infotainment screen isn't particularly big or or impressive, and you have to deal with that info that stupid touchpad. Yeah, and, uh, and, but it's like if you look at it in this context, if you're looking at it, the idea that a a an all wheel drive IS three hundred is only $3,000 less, or I guess $4,000 less, so 10% price difference between that and the better engine with all-wheel drive, that's really strange. Like, I don't know who that car is for at that point. If 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 you can get a that's really... Why, that's why the car bothers me. I don't get it. I don't I don't know if people get it. I don't know what the deal is. It's it. almost like they're forced to, to offer it. But, Sammy, I have a yeah. theory as to why this car exists, because... The the car that with the better engine is the F Sport, and I don't. I've never driven an F Sport product from Lexus. We talked about this with the RX because they made an F Sport version of that too. I've never driven an F Sport Lexus that was anything other than uncomfortably stiff. I did not enjoy it. It didn't really improve the driving experience. So if you don't care about that, as I mentioned many times so far, if you don't want to fake the sports sedan and you just want something that looks good in your eyes and is at the price point you can afford and has all-wheel drive, this car fills that niche. You know, I don't know how many people go into the Lexus dealership and they're like, I need the sportiest Lexus you have. I, I don't, is yeah. that, is that a person? Like, I don't know. I've never met such a person. You've met but people. I mean, you've met I, people though, right? You know that I, people. In the I world. also want to, I also want to go back to you about <clears throat> something you said about the, the build quality of the, of the product. It is quite, it is quite well built, but is that a, is there a, a, a luxury car in the segment where the build quality was poor, like really yeah. noticeably poor? Which let me, one? Let me flip the question on you. Would you recommend, if someone said, I want to own an out-of-warranty luxury car, would you recommend yeah. a Lexus or would you recommend a BMW? Yeah, I would recommend a Lexus. I mean, okay. I think that's, so that's what I'm that's talking fair. about in terms of build quality. Okay. 
Right. The, the, the out of warranty experience. Exactly. Um, okay, the, right. The, so if you're keeping your car longer than five years, that's something that matters. And most cars out there on the road are 10 or 11 years old. So a lot of people keep right. their cars a very long time. If you, if you have a Lexus, you're not going to have to worry about much. The, the build quality is right up there. Um, there is a kind of a dark horse, though, when we're talking about this segment. And it's something that applies to Lexus in a way that it doesn't apply to the Germans. And that's cars that aren't luxury cars that are just as good as luxury cars. <laughs> and uh, I think if you're, if you're an IS300, you're looking over your shoulder at cars like the Stinger GT from Kia. Right. Which is... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, it's a better drive. Um, it's larger. It's more practical with the hatchback. And it's very, very comfortable. And I would say it's just as stylish as this vehicle. And the pricing is not all that different um, once you factor in options and whatnot. So I don't think the German cars worry about that as much because their option structure is such that they can quickly price themselves well above something from Kia or Nissan. Like the Maxima is another car that I think competes pretty well against the IS300, which is a weird wow. thing to say. Yeah, that um, is a weird thing to say. You get a bigger car, pricing is similar, and uh, comfort levels are similar. Um, but you don't have the prestige if there is such a thing specifically that comes to the Lexus badge, right? Like that's, that's why you're paying more. So this car isn't kind of a, a weird gray zone, I guess, even in its own lineup, it's in a gray zone. So I, I, bottom line for me is I enjoyed driving it. I didn't think I would. Um, I don't think it's a car I would flog around for fun on twisty roads, but if I had to drive it every day, I would not be upset by that. And it's something you can drive all year round, even if it snows. I think you've been softened up. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Something you you've got to you've got to smile in your voice. You sound far more happier. It's these almost days. like I, yeah, I regained the will to live, and and <laughs> yeah, suddenly <laughs> suddenly Lexus doesn't seem so bad anymore as an entry level sports sedan. I think you drove a an Acura. <laughs> you drove an Acura and got perspective on the rest of the luxury car. <laughs> you know, it's funny is we're, we're talking about this, right? Not once did I think of the TLX until you brought it up. <laughs> Not once did I think this is a car that goes up against the. T-. You know why? Because I don't think the TLX is in this conversation. I did not. Have- right. I did not have the same experience, and the TLX is a quote unquote brand new platform, right? Yes. Yeah. So Lexus is definitely doing something right with this car because to me it stomps all over the Acura. There's there's no question. I would not I would not even consider it. Even with less power. It sounds like you would get yourself in an IS if you followed a flow chart, a very obscure flow chart (laughs) that said, like, I need all wheel drive, but I need a naturally aspirated engine. That I need really high, like really strong. (laughs) But no heads up display, but also (laughs) a touchpad. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and you'd be like, yep, this is the car for me. This is it. And then sitting right beside it is like a Maxima. And you're like, wait, where, where did that come from? And they're like, shh, shh, just choose. Just choose. I, you know, honestly, the if the Maxima had all-wheel drive, it would be quite an, impre- an interesting product. Um, Toyota did this with the Avalon. They added all-wheel drive to the Avalon, but to the wrong engine they put it to the four cylinder instead of the v6 is, look, look, let's so. back this up again this is the second time you've characterized an engine as wrong in this podcast this is the wrong engine with all-wheel drive you're like i'd like this is 300 all-wheel drive if it didn't have the wrong engine and the right engine is every other engine according to you <laughs> like there are three engines one of them's wrong this is what you've decided so now we're talking about the avalon similar situation yeah. i mean why restrict the why restrict things like that? I mean It doesn't make sense. The Av- the Avalon, I, I, I enjoyed it, uh, and I just wish to have the engine the the V six engine that it's offered with the front wheel drive model. It doesn't make any sense that the all wheel drive doesn't have that, but I guess it's a it's a matching of the powertrain sort of Yeah, and, and here's other things that like maybe we're not considering. Maybe the company has corporate average fuel economy to consider and mm-hmm. if they don't have this vehicle in the mix, if they put the Turbo 4, they don't want to engineer the Turbo 4 for all-wheel drive, but they want to offer a mid-range model, but they also need a vehicle that has slightly better fuel mileage than the bigger, or sorry, the more powerful version of the V6. So they slide this thing in there, it averages things out, and all of a sudden their average fuel economy for the IS is a lot better than it used to be. And then you consider the they're about to add a huge 5-liter V8 version of this car yeah. into the mix. And they're like, hmm. I think bottom line, Sammy, we're lucky there's not a three-cylinder version of the IS. <laughs> and they call it, instead of calling it the IS300, they call it the IS003. <laughs> and it would be yes. a nightmare. But it would it would totally balance out that 5-liter V8 that's coming. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about that 5-liter V8. Um, 
that's a great like to do, have you thought about this have you i, I thought this... about it in the sense that this five liter v8 it's like it's like the the fca chrysler model of engine design of of, of product design where you have like one motor that's really great and you've been building it for what 15 years now <laughs> and yeah. how, how long has that engine been out there when did the first um, is when yeah. did the first isf come out 2008 Something I like think that. So. so at least a decade of this motor, and it's just been sitting on a shelf. And you're like, "Well, the RCF's dead, so let's put it back in the IS." And like, it's it's just a great motor that you did a really good job on, and you're super proud of it. And you're going to put it in everything. <laughs> and I'm okay with that because it's a good motor. It's in the LC. Uh, it was in the GSF, the RCF, the ISF, and now it's just going to be in the IS again. And you know, time is a flat circle, and that has a certain <laughs> logical appeal to me. So, uh, what I'm also saying is, I want to see no, the RX love... 500, Sammy. Yeah, that's true. Oh man, that would actually be kind of. Although that would take away from like the the what's the word the, the killer app of the RX is that you can get it with an, with a hybrid, right? And now you, you know what? We've given up on that. Here's a V8 version of it too. That'd be pretty cool, though. That's again, that's the FCA school of doing things. It's like you thought we were done with this model ten years ago, but wait, there's more, <laughs> and that more is more gas. <laughs> it is weird. I I do think that uh, adding a V8 will add some uh, excitement to the product, um, especially when it's kind of difficult to find a V8 in the segment, and the look. The memories of the ISF are pretty, are pretty, are pretty positive. I don't think it was a world beater. It wasn't as good as like the C sixty three at the time, uh, or the M three. But it was really interesting for what it was. It was really cool, and it showed that Lexus has like a, a heart or a soul it had behind those, the cars. Those fake tailpipes too, which was like they were kind yeah. of at like the vanguard of that movement. I think they were probably <laughs> the first. For those of and, you who don't remember, it had quad tailpipes, but they were just that, cutouts yeah. in the bumper. And there was, like, the real tailpipe was, like, behind it. And you could only see that if you go down on your hands and knees. And they caught so much flack for that. And now everyone does it. <laughs> yes, that's true, too. Um, yeah. So they're ahead of their time with that whole movement, huh? Yeah, they're faking the funk that that was a Lexus thing well before everyone else. So bottom... I also think... Le- hold on. I actually think Lexus also, in, like, helped to invent the the performance sound pleasure thing. Like... Oh. Well, I remember the very first Lexus NX had a little dial that you could like adjust the sound for. But you're asking you me this? like I designed the car, and I'm like, do you, yes, Sammy, do you remember I did that on feature? purpose? I'm wondering if if you remember it, and I'm just remembering. I I do not remember that. I remember going to the. You want to hear my Lexus NX story? Yeah. Okay. Well, you've triggered it. So I went to the launch of the NX, which was held in uh, British Columbia, and we drove from Vancouver to Whistler. And um, the I was driving with a friend of mine, uh, TJ Keon, and we were doing a video. Um, and he he had set up the cameras. He was in the back seat, and there, we had like three or four cameras pointed at me in the front. And there was a, there was someone hitchhiking on the side of the road. And I have a policy where I try to pick up hitchhikers because not because I I, I I'm playing fast and loose with my own life, but because I, I had friends who hitchhiked to work a lot when they were younger. And mm-hmm. I knew what, what a hassle and a hardship that was. And it's super dangerous and you should never do it. But whatever. So it was this – it was a, a woman in her early 20s. And this was a long time ago. It was six, seven years ago. We stopped and we picked her up. And she was going to the doctor's apparently. She had an, an appointment in the town that we were going to. So she got in and I this is, this is on a press event. And we gave her the ride right to her, the clinic where she was going. And she got out. And like the whole time I, I was still talking – I was like – uh, I explained to her that we were doing a, a car video and she's like, okay, that's cool. And like, she just sat there while I was talking to these cameras and TJ was in the back, like fiddling around with the audio, never said anything, didn't think it was weird. And, and at the end of the day, I was like, who gets into a car that has like four cameras in it? Like, that just seems like, that's like, if you're just trying to spot a serial killer, that's probably <laughs> a pretty big tell that maybe you shouldn't get into that car. But you know, all's well that ends well. That's yeah, I'm for that one time. I love that you do that. I think that I'm glad that it hasn't resulted in any really awful stories, or at least ones that we have. My been able to tell my on weirdest podcast. my weirdest hitchhiker story was <laughs> I was very young. I was 17 or 18, and I was driving to Ohio to go to the Mopar Nationals at Columbus National Trail Raceway, and uh, it was I don't even know where somewhere somewhere in the Midwest. And um, we picked up this guy whose truck had broken down uh, and he was trying to get to his job site. 
And we'd stop to see if we could help him fix his truck. Because me and a friend, and, and I'm in a single cab F-150 from the 80s. And mm-hmm. uh, we didn't have anywhere for him to sit inside the cab. It was like two bucket seats. So he's like, okay, I'll ride in the back. It's not a problem. So he gets in the, in the cargo bed. We were only going like 10 miles down the road. But it's on the interstate. And um, I remember we're doing like 75 miles an hour. And I look over and he's gotten up inside the cargo bed and he'd, he'd like winded his body around the side of the truck and was trying to talk to my friend through the open window at 75 miles an hour. And I looked, I was like, who is this maniac? Like, this is crazy. Dedicated. Yeah. And uh, he stood there, he sat there the whole time yelling his head off in the wind while my friend was trying to, you know hopefully not open the door or hit a bump or like <laughs> yeah anyway that was that's the weirdest hitchhiking story i've ever had that's crazy um so you're gonna tell everyone to buy a lexus is 300 now is that what you're saying all i'm saying is it's not a terrible option and i was not expecting to be impressed to the point that i was impressed all things that they will add to the brochure not a terrible option was not <laughs> expecting to be impressed <laughs> that's good um, okay, I'll, I'll talk about a car that I was uh, I was curious about, uh, a, a vehicle that we have driven, but with new technology. It is the 2021, um, I think it's 2021, I hope so. It's the Cadillac Escalade. I've okay. driven this back in December. I think you had it at the, on the same date as I did. It yeah, we drove cool, it the same uh, week. Yeah, but I'm driving a slightly var- larger version of the, pro- of the Escalade. It's the ES. V, I believe it's called ESV. I always if, want to say EXT, which I think is the weird pickup. The that was the, yeah, but that was the Avalanche Escalade, which was pretty yeah, popular. I I've seen them around here, and I always wonder how what they're like. But no, the ESV is the extended wheelbase. It's a it, the car feels and looks like a school bus um, uh, from a distance, but once you see the the badge glistening in your eyeballs, you'll know that that's definitely a very rich, expensive luxury product, and it's the Escalade. Um, the same thing that uh, that we said back then still applies now. It is a very impressive product. It has a ton of screens. If you like screens, let me tell you, the Escalade is for you. They should just honestly call it the Cadillac Mini Screens Mobile. Like well, I don't know like, what else. It's going up against the new Grand Wagoneer, right? Which is essentially entirely screens. <laughs> entirely it's just screens. screens. We have fashioned the entire cabinet out of screens today. Um, and it, it, it has so much cool technology, but one of the most important things that the Escalade has is, like, the standout key feature of the GM technology suite is called Super Cruise, and it is the next step up of, um, adaptive cruise control. It is made specifically for driving on the highway and allows you to drive hands-free on the highway, which is... Super Cruise has been around for a while, right? Like, we had it in the CT6... And then in, in 2017, CT- yeah, yeah, and then the CT6 went away, <laughs> and, and so did Super Cruise, I guess. And and now Super Cruise is back, and it's being put across uh, a much wider swath of the Cadillac lineup, which which it should have been honestly from the beginning. Um, hmm. But so this version of Super Cruise is it any different than the one we've seen before? Yes, this one allows you to change lanes. I can change lanes in any car, Sammy, <laughs> but with Super Cruise, okay. So the way that works, you're, you're, so I, I should detail the entire Super Cruise experience, if you don't mind. Um, the, the way this works is you get onto a highway that has hopefully been mapped by a third-party mapping da- uh, company called um, Usher, I believe. Yeah, we'll call it Usher. I believe it's called Usher. Um, and they've mapped all of these highways. I, I believe they've mapped over 200,000 miles of um, highways with a 15 centimeter margin of error, which so why I guess is, why is mapping so important? You need these maps because uh, you can't just rely on the onboard sensor data um, to to tell the, the the vehicle where to go because sometimes you know lanes or lines can sometimes change or disappear or you know who knows what or, it's or snowing, if it's maybe? an yeah if there's poor weather you you can't rely totally on all of those sensors so you you combine it with this map data. Let me just say, 200,000 miles of high-definition maps has been is included in this car. Somehow, they've, from what I understand, they've compressed it into something like 300 megabytes, which is typically like typically that much data is in the terabytes, which is pretty impressive. Okay, I'm not that impressed by data size, but I, I do want to know more about Super Cruise. Okay, so you get on the highway. You'll see on the on the 
digital dash, this steering wheel, you press um, a button on your steering wheel, which lights up a bar on the steering wheel itself. It will go green when Super Cruise is enabled. It will flash blue when it is, I guess, initiating or struggling. And then it will, uh, it has a few more uh, rolls, this light bar. When you're not paying attention, it will start flashing green to kind of like get your attention. And when it turns off or doesn't like the way you're using it, it will turn red and start to turn off. So this is really important because one of the big complaints we have about semi-autonomous driving systems is how difficult it is to tell when they're working and when they're not and how they can often stealthily shut off and kind of leave you uh, in the lurch, so to speak. Yeah, so having this feature right on the steering wheel uh, in front of you is is a helpful way of ke- keeping that constant communication with you at all times. I think maybe the, the best thing- way that we've seen so far from a, from an OEM. Right, and the other thing is, as I mentioned, this is meant to be a hands-free driving experience. Not an eyes-free, but hands-free. So you can't, you know, get on your phone or start, stare out the window or, like, or, or talk to somebody in the back okay, or whatever does it, it might no, Does it monitor you using radar from the rear seat? No, it is not a GP70. It's not checking to see if you have a pulse or whatever okay. it might be. How it do doesn't you, have an x-ray. How do you know yeah. for sure, follow-up question, did you bring our radar detector into the vehicle to see if you were being irradiated? No, I didn't bring my – or my Geiger counter at all. Why do you have a Geiger counter? Well, you know, I was always considering getting a getting a piece of land by the nuclear power plant because the, the value. Did you just so... say nuclear? <laughs> nuclear. All right, I'm gonna let that pass. Keep going. Um, the you know what I'm saying. Anyways, the car has a, a driver facing camera that monitors you know whether or not you're looking out the window. If you block it in any way, like if you're this happened to me, if you're drinking a cup of coffee and you you're trying to get the last few drops out of it. Um, the car will get really annoyed at you because it thinks that you're not looking out the camera. Well, the how window, long, which... like, occasionally I do have to look away from the road to, say, change a radio station. What, what kind of a grace period do I have? I would say it is um, generous enough to, for you to do that. But not generous enough to you for you to finish your coffee? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. I was blocking the camera, so I think it was more concerned about do that. Do you have, like, a yeah. line of coffee cups on the dashboard or, like, the gauge cluster? And you're like, I oh, just got to get through another 100,000 miles. Just got to get through. And you just, you're just chugging them down? Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know how – you've been on so many road trips with me. You should know this by now. I, I operate on, on coffee. Um, I have the biggest cups I can get. And I, if I block my face – with the coffee cup, that means it's time to get a new one. How do I know um, if I'm on a, a stretch of road that Super Cruise has mapped? Okay, so like I said, it has this steering wheel on the dashboard next to the adaptive cruise control um, sort of uh, cluster of, of information. So, you know, when you press cr- cruise control, it shows you, you know, it sees the lanes, it tells you the speed, it tells you it sees someone in front of you. And next to that, if there is a steering wheel, that means that the, the, the road has been mapped. Okay. Um, then you press the <clears throat> the Super Cruise button, which looks like an adaptive cruise control button, um, with with lane keeping, and then it will it will turn on that light on the steering wheel, and then you're you're good to go. And if you want to change lanes, let's say you're you're approaching somebody um, who's who's driving slower than you in that lane, you just hit the signal. Uh, it will say on the dashboard, looking for an opening. It will then change the lanes for you. This is all hands free. So sometimes when you use the signal in a vehicle with adaptive cruise control and lane keeping, if you hit the signal, it'll just turn off the lane keeping on that, like, one side of the vehicle or something, um, or, or turn off the lane keeping altogether, allowing you to complete your your lane change. This does the whole operation um, itself, with the so, exception of turning off the signal. How useful is this, really? Because, like, changing lanes is not a difficult thing to do. So what kind of – is this really your – you're driving on a long trip and this is going to alleviate some of the burden or did you find this to be helpful at all? Cause I like super cruise just for it being super cruise. I find it works well, but I, I never really thought, gee, this is such a hassle having to change lanes by slightly angling the steering wheel to the left or the right. You know, I think it's meant to showcase the product as a completely all encompassing sort of solution um, that, Keeping your hands off the steering wheel can be done, and I think that's what this does. Do you think this gives a wrong impression in the sense that it might make people think it is a full self-driving system? No, there are so many safeguards to this vehicle, and it's it like there is no way you can pretend to use it like a full self-drive. Every t- like I said, 
you turn your head for a moment, uh, well, not a moment, for like a couple of seconds, and the light starts flashing, and then the seats vibrate. Then if you are, if you are, I, I can't remember what, what triggers it, but when the vehicle also drives into a location where it doesn't have map data, which happens pretty, I, I'm driving in what has to be the worst time of year. This is spring. And in spring, where I live, following the, the thaw, the winter thaw, all of our roads are in complete disarray. There are potholes, there are cracked pavements, the lane markings don't look um, you know, the right anymore. And there's a lot of construction to fix all of that road, um, th that road damage. So anywhere there is some um, unexplained diversion on the highway, the, the super cruise system will turn off. Or if there's a new stretch of highway as a result of you know, repa road repairs, it will turn off. How does it too. know that there's construction? Uh, again, I, I think it it uses, um, I, I guess it uses cameras or something, um, or road. What is it? Uh, road sign recognition to detect in that in that format. But so it does. In, in theory, all I need to do to disable Super Cruise is put up a roadwork sign somewhere on the highway, and it'll shut up. Or is it? Maybe, do they get reports I, from like the municipality or the the province or the state or whatever telling them there's going to be roadwork? That's a good question, and I should I should look I will look into it because they said it shouldn't be operating in a in a in a construction zone. It and it seems to have some safeguards in that regard. I think it also um, stops operating if you're in an exit lane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it says so. Now, when it turns off, is an interesting experience because I thought like uh, when it turns off, I can just hit the gas and take control because the car is a big stable, you know, Escalade. It has lane keeping on, anyways. Why can't I just continue driving the car? Yeah. What it wants you to do is actually take control of the steering wheel. And it feels that sort of torque or, or tension on the steering wheel before it, it recognizes that you've taken control. If you do not take control of the car, which apparently I didn't or didn't do it right. Well, probably because you were drinking 16 coffees. Yeah, I was super caffeinated at that point. Uh, very hyperactive. I was pressing all sorts of buttons, you know. Um, it will flash that, that, that light red. It will start to slow the car down to, as far as I understand, a stop. It will turn on the four ways, and then a very loud voice in the speaker says, please take control of the car, like that, inside the vehicle. <laughs> um, and apparently, if you don't take control of the car at that point, the the car will, I guess, call OnStar. Um, and I don't know what OnStar will do. I guess they'll be... I think they send a team of agents to your home, and... Uh... <laughs> I'm not at my home. I need to be in the... They need to come to me at the, in the car. Oh, it doesn't matter if you're at your home or not. The agents are going to be there. And it's too late for you at that point, Sammy. You might as well just give up. And you're going to be at Cadillac re-education camp. Yeah. They're going to teach is... you to take control of the car. There seems to be an, an onboard Cadillac re-education camp, which is you can't use super... If it, does, if it gets to that point um, of it saying, please take control of the car... You cannot use Super Cruise again until you turn off and on the car again. So it times you out? Yeah. Oh, man. I, yeah. I understand intellectually why that happens, but I feel like that's, <laughs> that's like a really good way to ruin the bond between owner and machine. Like it, it, a vehicle feature that, oh, that's, first of all, scolds you. And then yeah. once it scolds you, it, it just says, no, sorry, you're done. You need to you right. need to pull over and get your get yourself together, sir or get your stuff together, man. Um, and it was it was a very interesting experience. I didn't expect that to happen because I thought I was in control of the car. Uh, I was in a I was in stop and go traffic essentially, and I think I got in some into some traffic or a, 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 an exit lane or something like maybe that. maybe some Yahoo and whipped out a roadwork sign in front of you and you didn't see it. Maybe and it did not like the the situation ahead. It turned off the super cruise and I thought you know it was. We were in slow-moving traffic and it was just creeping ahead. But no, it was stopping the car, turned on the four ways, and I guess that that would have... I'm really glad that the people behind me... Wait, it's, like, it stopped the car for you? Yeah. You didn't mention that. You just said that you had to stop the car and start it again to get Super Cruise back. No, no. But this actually no, no. physically shut your car down because you no, weren't no, no. paying it attention. No, no, no. It brings it to a, to a stop. Doesn't sh it doesn't stop. Well, that's it the same thing. Like, does this, regardless of speed... I'm not sure. Yeah, I suppose so. And it, w it, it, it is assuming that you are not capable of taking control of the okay, car. Okay, so but if you're going 80 kilometers an hour, which you were not, yeah. you would have had no. time to regain the control of the vehicle, right? Right. And it wouldn't have just stopped you in the lane. Because I would have been able to take control of the vehicle. Yes. yes. But okay. because I believe I was in stop-and-go traffic, 
it just stopped the car. There's a very big difference between those two things that we were just talking about. Like, okay. Also, it's weird that it puts the four ways on. Like, it's Not only did it scold you and lock you out of your own vehicle's functionality, but now it's publicly shaming you. It is! I know, it publicly shamed me. And I was like, well, great. Now, And not only that, but, you know, it's a new car that I'm not familiar with the, the layout of the buttons, and I couldn't find the, the, the hazard button, the hazard light button. It's also for, like the good... biggest car in the universe, right? So everyone <laughs> can see that this is unfolding before them, this, this tail why of Why is this guy going forward? This yeah, why is the hazards on? Why is he drinking such a big cup of coffee? What is going on in that car? What's wrong with his face? <laughs> it's funny. Anyways. I, oh, sorry, yeah. go on. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I was um, just... oh, yeah. this is awkward. <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to go. Um, I, I, I was in a self-driving Kia many, many years ago at their test facility in California. And it right. had a feature where um, it would de- if, if it detected that the driver had a heart attack or was somehow incapacitated, it would also stop the vehicle. But it wouldn't mm-hmm. just like stop it in place. It would actually pull over onto the shoulder, stop the vehicle, and then call a tow truck. And then it could like... It could it could uh, communicate with the tow truck and allow the tow truck to tow it using a technology that interacted with its self driving feature, um, which was pretty neat. But when I was drive when I was in the car, the engineer at the steering wheel were going like 65, 70 miles an hour, and he faked a heart attack. And like, how slumped. do you fake a heart attack? He like Enough shook a lot. It... He shook a okay. lot, and then he slumped in his seat and closed his eyes. And then the car detected that was happening, and it pulled us over. So it there was less go. of a shaming and more of a saving, I guess is what I'm saying. I I do think that these kinds of features are important. I think that they should be more and more um, available, especially in luxury cars like this, where you can afford you can afford to put that kind of technology in it. Um, and I do think that the interaction between the driver and the technology is pretty good at telling you what it's doing at all times. But in the Cadillac, the yes, yes, yeah. Uh, and, and so I was glad that it and it has that extreme of a use case scenario where if you're not doing anything it will take control it will it'll do as much as it can to to rectify that situation which i think is interesting so any Um, any any final thoughts on super cruise like is this something you want to see in more cadillacs yeah and i'm starting to understand maybe why it has it has taken a little bit of time as much as we said it is a pretty refined system i think it can um I think it can, what's it called? I think it can have some use case scenarios where it's not perfect. Right? It, there's some situations where it feels a little, like, concerning. Like I said, and when you enter an unmapped, lo- an unmapped area and it gets really, like, nervous or frustrated about that and you suddenly lose Super Cruise, which is a, a feature that you thought was, like, bulletproof at times. And it's not. Well, I mean, as long as, you know, you don't get shamed in the unmapped area in front of people you don't know and will never meet. Yeah. Well, you know how, you know how bashful I am. So, um, uh, it, yeah. Any, any, so that's, that's, that's your, your final thoughts? On I am looking for, I'm looking forward to it, though. That's the other thing I should say. I am looking forward to it coming because I believe it's coming to the new Bolt, um, which is a non-Cadillac-branded vehicle. And it would be cool to see that in a different experience. But I believe most of the interface is the same. It's coming to the CT5 and CT4, which is important. Basically, any like the Lex, the Cadillac lineup is getting this feature, and that's good because if you have a, 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 I think a segment leading feature, you need to have you need to put it in as many cards as you can because that's how you build your brand identity or your brand image. So, um, if any of you out there listening have a segment leading feature you want to tell us about. There are a lot of ways you can do that. And I just want to give a shout out to Justin, who uh, one of our Australian Australian listeners who wrote into us this week to talk to us and, you know, say some kind words about the podcast, which we always appreciate. And we're glad that you're enjoying it uh, and and getting getting some fun out of out of our episodes. Um, He was mentioning that one thing he likes about us is that we're honest about the cars that we drive sammy uh i i just don't know any other way and i know that you're you're kind of the same when it when it comes to that uh one thing that i I do want to mention is that when we talk about cars in the sense that uh, you know there's a feature that we think is problematic or we don't like or whatever people who build these cars the pr people who sell these cars they know everything about these vehicles and they know what's good and what isn't about their own product and they're for the most part, they're very aware of how these cars are perceived in, in the public, sorry, by the public and by journalists. 
And um, if you are – when you talk about these kinds of issues with a vehicle, if you do it in a way that's fair and honest, uh, which is something we always try to do, you're not going to have problems. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's when you uh, – you know, if you're – how would, how would you say it, Sammy? If you're maybe unbalanced when, when talking about a vehicle, that's when I think uh, things things can become problematic. But in my experience, there are very few car companies that have an issue with people being honest about the things they do and they don't like about the cars because no one knows the cars better than the people who build them. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's about being fair with your with your critical assessment. And you know what? Ben and I, we like to poke fun. We like to joke around a little bit. We, yeah. we, we, we do that sort of stuff. But we also do point out where a car um, succeeds and you know where it fails. It, again, like where it's curious, where it's confusing. And you know, um, with Sammy, and, and Sammy's often to pointing out. That. Yeah, Sammy points out things like you know, like he says, "Oh, the IS three hundred is something I don't like," and then I get to tell him why he's wrong. So, like, that's another yeah. example of balance. We have a great on, dynamic. This, that's an example of balance on this podcast, I think. But again, thank we're you, Justin. So many, we're gonna get so many commenters saying, "Oh, I'm so with, I'm so with Ben on this. The IS is a it's a fine piece." It's, it's perfect for, for. I don't. I don't think there's a wellspring of IS fans out there who are going to like leap to, the, leap to the defense of this vehicle. I don't think we're worried about. I think it's. I don't know if it's a, a segment that is really that passionate about the car. I think the people are more casually content with their ISs than anything else. Um, but thanks again, Justin, for writing in. And if anyone else wants to write in, there's a bunch of ways to do that. Sammy, what are some of the best ways to get in touch with us? The best way is to go onto our website. It's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form there. You fill it out, and it lands in our inbox. It's that easy. Additionally, you can email us the old-fashioned way. It's benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. Or you can reach out to us on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, H-A. And you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at HuntingBenjamin. And uh, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com also has all of our past episodes. If you want to listen, subscribe, or you know, hear the amazing journey we've been on for the last four years, you can go all the way back to the beginning. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, it, it's a great way to kind of get our opinions in that moment on vehicles that were new back then. And uh, compared to how we feel about them now, you can track Sammy's hatred of uh, certain vehicles over a long time span and see how he's maybe not evolved as a person, even though today is his birthday and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. You can also see our uh, development of our relationship with robots and other creatures uh, and other artificial intelligence, which if, has... If Sammy's by relationship, Sammy means loving servitude, I think, or dedication, yeah. devotion to the robotic mind. You can see that come full circle. <laughs> and Sammy, what are you going to ben- be driving next week? Next week, I have the brand new Mitsubishi Outlander to talk about, uh, as well as a Nissan Kicks. I think you might enjoy that conversation. I'm going to be talking about the Genesis G80 sedan. Ooh, okay, great. I can't wait to talk to you about that, so we'll hear from you next week. All right, thank you for listening, everybody. Take care.